0: Now we have a new chart today, that one, Tracking Satan, The Rise and Fall of the Dragon. I saw you slip in at the last minute, Greg. That's that's how you get out of having to read, right? So let's begin by reading our passage. Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9. I will do my best, but I can pretty much guarantee you that like our pastor, I'm going to run over. Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9. We're not going to, I'm not going to lead you through that chart. That's for you to have handy. We're going to, that, that is a, this is a graphic representation of what we're going to be discussing today. I would be doing this class a great disservice if at this point in our study, I simply began an examination of verse seven and the war in heaven without first offering some clarifying background. Background. In the text just read, we learn that the victor of this war in heaven will eject the loser and his army, Satan and his angels, from heaven. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Verse 8. Perhaps you, like me, read this and think, well, now, wait a minute. Hasn't Satan been kicked out of heaven before? Fallen before. Even in this study alone, didn't I, in session 21, identify him as the likeliest candidate for the, quote, star from heaven which had fallen to the earth in 9-1. Now he's falling again? What's going on here? The fast answer to that is, yes, he is indeed falling again. Again But that answer is, of course, insufficient. We need to back up and make a thumbnail sketch of the career of the great dragon, the serpent of old, also known as the devil and Satan. Turn please to now, limber up your page-turning fingers. Turn please to Job 38. Job chapter 38 at the beginning of his energetic response to Job and his self-serving friends Yahweh describes the scene in heaven at creation Job 38 I want to begin at verse 4 Yahweh speaking, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. We glean two pieces of information from this passage. Here and throughout the Old Testament, a common way to refer to angels is the sons of God. Second, though they are created beings, angels were apparently created prior to the creation of earth and the universe. For they witnessed it, And sang together and shouted for joy. Now let's get a little closer to that creation account. Turn to Genesis 1, all the way back. Genesis 1, let's start at verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Excuse me. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. At this point, everything has been created. Everything. Angels, the universe, and the earth, including man. And God declares it all. Very good, not just good, very good. That is good by, good by God's standard, not by our standard. This would of course include the angel Satan and any of his fellow angels that will later side with him. They've all been declared very good. But are we assuming too much? Turn please to Ezekiel chapter 28. there are two passages in the Old Testament that give us details on the pre-fall Satan, pre-first fall Satan, as well as his subsequent descent. This in Ezekiel is an example of a now-not-yet prophecy, speaking on the one hand of the king of Tyre, as does Isaiah of the king of Babylon, but including descriptions that could not Possibly refer to a human being on earth. After declaring his physical beauty, which is remarkable, verse 14 offers more pertinent information. Ezekiel 28, beginning with verse 14 You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God, you walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, I didn't do a lot of research on this, but I'm pretty sure what he's referring to there stones of fire. Stones of fire. Remember all the description of the, the, the jewels and the glass-like pavement, and I think that's, it's the glory of God in these precious stones. There. It's like they're on fire. Okay, anyway. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. So here we learn that first, Satan was not just good, he was special, probably an archangel. For he covered, means he guarded, he protected the throne of God. A high position indeed. He was created blameless until one day he wasn't. Verse 16, by the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. For I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So Satan is cast from the mountain of God, but to where? The answer to that is a little involved. On the one hand, he was sent to earth. Verse 17b, I cast you to the ground, I put you before kings that they may see you. So he's been cast down to earth. In a moment, we'll see that he was also sent somewhere else. But before we leave this passage, note that it includes a description of his final demise in verse 19. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified Note, not terrifying, terrified. And you will cease to be forever. Ezekiel speaks of Satan being sent to the earth. Isaiah offers another detail. Back up to Isaiah 14, please. Here's another now not yet prophecy pertaining first to the king of babylon but also to satan and isaiah reiterates that when he fell he was sent to the earth isaiah 14 verses 12 to 15 how you have fallen from heaven o star of the morning son of the dawn you have been cut down to the earth you who have weakened the nations But you said in your heart, I will descend to heaven. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Very good, Patty. Leaning on that eye. Here we see that this shining one, son of the dawn, is cut down to the earth and will be thrust down to Sheol, which is essentially a subterranean subterranean holding place. The first question to answer is, when did this occur? When did Satan first fall? The evidence clearly shows to, in Genesis that it had to occur somewhere between Genesis: 131, where he's declared to be very good when this oh, I'm sorry. Skipped the line. <clears throat> Let me rewind here. It had to occur somewhere between Genesis one thirty one, when everything in creation was declared by God to be very good, and Genesis three one, when He comes to tempt Adam and Eve. So somewhere between there, between being very good and being represented by the serpent who tempts Satan or Adam and Eve, something happened. Ever since that initial fall, Satan has been busy on earth doing his worst against God and his people. Yet at the same time, this is the bizarre point. This is what's hard for us to understand. At the same time, even though he fell, Satan has retained access to heaven, even to the courts of the throne of God. How do we know this? Well, let's return to the book of Job. This time, chapter one. Let's read verses six to seven. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Now, the NIV happily for us, the the NIV NIV loves to do the work for us. She said angels. Well, it's actually sons of God. So, but yes, angels is correct, but that's not what the Greek says. Thank you, NIV. Now, let's stop there for now. What do we learn from these verses? There again is that phrase, sons of God, angels. And Satan also came among them. So though he was demoted and cast down to the earth, and even Sheol, Satan has retained access to the third heaven and even the throne room of God. It's true, we we may not understand it, but from more than one passage in God's word, we see Satan not just hanging around, but having the ear of Father God. We get this in Job 1. Yahweh then, in verse 12, grants permission for Satan to confound the life of Job with restrictions. Quote, then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power only. Do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. This sets forth an important precept. Just as he does with humans, the Lord God grants a measure of free will to even his adversary, which is what the word Satan means. Yet he, the Lord God, retains ultimate control. This remains the status of Satan to this day, to this hour. It will remain his status until somewhere around the beginning or middle of the tribulation. So far, Satan has fallen only once. If we're correct that the star of Revelation 9 verse 1 is Satan, it clearly states that that star had fallen to earth past tense john did not see it fall he's saying this is a star that had fallen earlier luke 10:18 or i'm sorry when jesus said that he was watching satan fall from heaven like lightning luke 10:18 it, it again was stated in the past tense yet could also be proleptic or prophetic aorist Something declared to have happened because it it physically has not happened, but it's so certain that it's as if it has. So then he would have been referring to the second fall. And since that first fall, Satan has been prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour So that's where we are with Satan up to the moment. One more thing before we examine our passage in chapter 12. Who is this angel, Michael, who goes to war against Satan? Michael is an archangel of God, one of the chief princes, we'll read in a moment, whose assignment seems to be one of protecting, even going to battle for Israel. He is invariably portrayed in Scripture as the defender of God's people against satanic destruction. In Daniel 10, the prophet records a visitation from an encouraging angel in answer to Daniel's prayers. Talk about the grace of God. God, Daniel has been praying for himself and for Israel so earnestly that God sends him an angel in person to say, "We heard your prayers, we got your prayers. I want to buck you up, buddy. you're okay. <laughs> Wish you'd do that for me once in a while,? <clears throat> Daniel's prayers state in verse 13 that the prince... The prince of the king, this is what the angel says in verse 13, that the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that is a demonic angel assigned to Persia, was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Later in the chapter, the critical help from Michael is again emphasized, Daniel 10, 20 to 21. 21. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Recorded in Jude is another instance of Michael being sent to do battle with Satan. This time for the body of Moses. We find it in Jude, verse 9. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Thus it follows that in our text in chapter 12, which we'll turn to now, Michael is the one leading the army of holy angels against Satan and his evil angels. Verse 7, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. MacArthur points out that the grammatical structure of this verse in the Greek indicates that Satan will be the one who initiates this supernatural heavenly war. He starts it. There's been a measure of conflict in heaven, just as on earth, between good and evil since the archangel Satan fell in the first place. But he knows that his time is running out. There are just so many opportunities left for him to do battle with God before his time is up. (laughs) <laughs> We're right on track. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was shown to the prophet Daniel that Michael would engage in this war at this time. Let's read Daniel 12:1. At that time Michael shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time, and at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So we can look at this as the first of his final three battles waged against God and his armies. The last two are recorded in Revelation 16, verse 13, to chapter 19, verse 21, and the third battle in chapter 20, verses 7 to 10. Little can be said about the nature or duration of this war, its weaponry or its tactics, all we can do is shudder at the thought of such a cosmic collision between vast armies of holy angels, meeting in combat vast armies of evil angels. Oy. All the clues to this, such as Daniel 12.1, point to it occurring around, perhaps shortly before the midpoint of the tribulation. For its conclusion and consequences supply a perfect explanation for the level of evil and depravity and misery that will attend the Great Tribulation the last three and a half years. Now, this is where John MacArthur places this war and Satan's subsequent fall to earth. That is, he sees this occurring roughly at the point where it is being described, at our time frame In this narrative. Walvert, however, places it considerably earlier. Here's what he writes, though the events of this chapter deal in general with the end of the age, it is clear that they do not come chronologically after the seventh trumpet. Rather, the fall of Satan may be predated to the time of the seals in chapter six, You remember a long time ago, we talked about the seals or even before the first seal. His fall begins the great tribulation. And by that, I believe he means the tribulation as a whole. Personally, I straddle the fence on this. I lean toward a later placement. I think that makes more sense, but I can imagine it either way. If Satan is cast out of heaven earlier in the tribulation, then his initial activities are to establish the career of his primary servant on earth, Antichrist, organizing his campaign for world domination in the name of his master. If, however, Satan is cast out closer to the mid-tribulation, then his rage after defeat and banishment Go a long way to explaining the demonic virulence of the last three and one-half years of the tribulation. One difference between these two positions does raise an interesting thought. MacArthur claims that Satan and his and his ex-community toy boat. MacArthur claims that Satan and his excommunicated angels, quote, will join the innumerable demons already roaming the earth. The lately arrived demons belched forth from the abyss, chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, and 200 million other formerly bound demons, chapter 9, verses 13 to 16, to create an unimaginable... There's the light of evil. Now, if you'll excuse me for just... Yeah. Yeah. But if Walford is correct, John Walford with an earlier placement of the war and fall, then the released demons described in chapter 9 may very well be the ones previously fallen with Satan. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. If the angels fell with Satan early on, they may be the ones doing all this, that have come up out of the pits and the locusts and the horses and all that. If it happens later, then yes, they might be joining them. Aside from Satan's evilness and opposition to the holy things of God and his Christ in general, could there be a specific reason for this war? What does he hope to gain? Does he have an immediate goal? He certainly has a history of doing whatever he can to stymie the advance of Christianity as well as the safe return of Israel to their homeland. In the prophecy of Zechariah, written around the time of the rebuilding of the Temple of Jerusalem by the returning remnant, that is, the reestablishment, re-establishment of Jerusalem as a place of worship of Yahweh. Zechariah is shown a vision of the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Zechariah 3.1, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And who is there also? And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. See, even now, ever since his first fall, one of his primary things, Satan's primary job, so to speak, is to be there to accuse us, to accuse God's people, and that includes us, to God the Father, saying, well, look what they did. And that's why, that's why our Lord and Savior is there to say, no, but they're in me. And God says, okay, never mind. And let's hope that Satan slinks off into the corner. Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor are working to resettle Jerusalem. While Satan stands before the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, to speak against Joshua. Joshua. In the context of Revelation 12, what big event is fast approaching? The establishment of the worldwide kingdom of Christ for 1,000 years. From Satan's perspective, it would be quite a coup to start a war in heaven that just might prevent or at least weaken that kingdom. I still say the guy's an idiot. He knows God's word better than we do. Verse 8. Verse 8 continues and completes the last sentence in verse 7. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. It doesn't just say that Satan and his army lost the war. No, the report speaks to the inherent failings of these sad combatants the ones who initiated the conflict in the first place. They, the dragon and his angels, were not strong enough. Of course not. If this dragon cannot win out over a woman in the throes of childbirth and a newborn child, verses 4 to 6, what made him think he could be victorious over the armies of righteousness led by Archangel Michael? On their home turf. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. That's a sad statement, isn't it? If this were not speaking of Satan and his minions, it would be a more melancholic statement. It leaves one wondering... I hope I don't get zapped for this. It leaves one wondering how God will be feeling at this moment. After all, Satan was once one of the sons of God, an archangel. He covered the throne. He protected the throne of God. Even after he was demoted, when he fell the first time, there remained a place for him in heaven. He could come and go at will, had speaking rights to Father God, but now he and his angels will be forever banned from the third heaven. One wonders if there just might be a tinge of sadness in God over this. Just a philosophical exercise. I don't mean to put thoughts in the mind of God. It's all right. But also... Michael, they were brother angels. They were both archangels. Michael still is. One might rightly assume they were created at the same time. They grew up together, as it were, and now they're fighting each other. verse 9 and the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old who's called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him this verse not only describes what happened to the great dragon and his angels after they lost the war but it condenses a veritable catalog of the character and practices of this once great angel. The great dragon with his seven heads and 10 horns and on his heads, seven diadems represents the satanic power structure that is in place during the tribulation, the worldwide government. It, it will be, it's, it's termed in prophecies, a revived, Roman Empire, evil Roman Empire, a confederation of states working together to control the world with the Antichrist as their head. The serpent of old points back to the Garden of Eden, emphasizing his treachery and subtlety, and the tragic, tragic event that triggered the fall of man and has, has culminated in the necessary tragedy of the tribulation the wrath of God against sin and the resulting judgments. Do do you realize that? I mean, everything we've been studying, all of this, all the misery on earth, cancer, heart failure, everything, everything, including Armageddon and the final battles and this war in heaven, everything is because Adam and Eve believed Satan or the serpent. That's where it all started. He's also called the devil. The Greek diabolos, devil, means slanderer, defamer, false accuser. That's what he's doing in heaven right now, which is how he is described in the next verse, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And finally, Satan. It's just the Hebrew word meaning adversary. It's been the Hebrew carried over into the Greek. And the great dragon was thrown down. The word translated thrown down in the NASB is the Greek I'm not, I think that's how it's pronounced, which means to throw, as in throwing a spear or a missile. They didn't just open the gate and let him walk out, he was literally thrown out of heaven. The tense of the verb means to cast down for good and all done, finished, over. I was amused by what David Guzik points out, that this is actually the second of four falls of Satan. (coughs) From glorified to profane, that's in Ezekiel 28. From having access to heaven, to restriction on the earth. But then he adds in the third fall from the earth to bondage in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. And from the pit to the lake of fire, Revelation 20. And the verse continues, he was thrown down to the earth. Though the second fall, this expulsion from heaven, is clearly from his perspective a humiliating defeat for Satan, note please that there is no mention of any loss of his supernatural powers. he wasn't he won't be stripped of his powers thus <clears throat> and this i would suggest is why the great tribulation is so bad satan brings with him to this earth every bit of his demonic capabilities only now it's focused right here on earth he can't leave Now, his influence has always been here, but now we get the guy himself. It's all right here. This victory, this cleansing that occurs in heaven means just the opposite for the earth. In heaven, they rejoice that this war is over and that Satan lost and he's kicked out. They have a party. Imagine for the first time in all history... Satan's full measure of evil, exacerbated by his rage from being so soundly defeated by the holy angels, will be poured out onto this globe. There will be nothing to bridle it, nothing to counteract it. The verse concludes, <coughs> Excuse me, and his angels were thrown down with him. Humanly speaking, it will be his team running the show. Antichrist, the world dictator, will be in charge, with his evil genius, his PR man, his the false prophet using supernatural means to make his his boss appear even greater. More superhuman, even godlike than ever before. In addition, all millions of Satan's demonic angels will be spewed out onto the earth unrestricted, unrestrained in the form of ravenous locusts, demonic horses from hell, who knows what else. Let us pray that we have the right understanding of this and will not be here. There will be no universal presence of the Holy Spirit as before the rapture to temper the evil effects of Satan. No worldwide church empowered by that same spirit to stand in opposition to him. There will be individual believers, but there won't be the church. Satan will be in charge. Now, let me leave you with an afterthought. Let me leave you with some food for thought. Something I'm going to be thinking about, and you might as well join me in this. Something that occurred to me during the preparation of this session. In this and earlier sessions, we have learned of Satan's almost constant presence before the throne of God, slandering, falsely accusing the righteous. There are too many references to this to slough it off as a mere opinion, and it would seem that his many evil angels are with him there as well, because they're there to fall after this war. Yet this teacher, in this and other classes, especially during our study of the Thessalonian letters... This teacher has often expressed the point that the resurrection of believers is necessary to give us glorified bodies suitable for the presence of God. For he cannot abide sinful flesh in his presence. Well, which is it? If we need to be changed, which is very clear in Thessalonians, So that we can be in heaven with God and Christ. Sinful flesh has no place there. Well, how come Satan gets to be there? How come, Satan, how come God can put up with that right next to the throne of God? One cannot get more sinful than Satan. Yet there he is standing before God and his Christ in heaven. We haven't the time to work through this now, but I'll be working on this to bring my own answer. Perhaps you might join me in pondering this on your own, searching through God's word to glean an answer, or the critical difference between the two which may have escaped us. That's always a possibility. In fact, it's usually the case. The question for which we need an answer If God cannot permit sinful, unglorified believers in his presence, how then can he abide Satan and his angels? What are we missing? I will leave you with that. Our Father God, the more we learn, the more we think we understand, the more we realize we don't. We depend on you and your spirit to feed us with the truth, to translate the mysteries of God's word so that we can apprehend them, understand them, live by them, look forward to them. Help us with this as well. Help us to understand your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.